Hi, everybody. We just wanted to provide a brief content warning at the beginning of this podcast episode. This episode of the podcast talks about issues of sexuality, relationships, and abuse uh, among people with disabilities in a training program specifically designed to help address these issues. It's important to note that sexual assault and abuse of people with disabilities often goes unreported and people with disabilities frequently have higher rates of abuse, both sexual, physical, and financial, than many other populations. Everyone has a right to safety. If you or someone you know with a disability has experienced sexual assault or abuse, there is support available. If you know of or suspect sexual assault or abuse, you should report it. Call your local police station or 911 to contact law enforcement. If the person being abused is considered a vulnerable adult under your state laws, you may also be able to contact your local Department of Human Services or Department of Social Services or Department of Health, depending upon uh, how your state is structured. There are important resources on seeking help on RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N.org, and we will link to some of these resources in the show notes for this episode. So anyway, we hope you enjoy this conversation and find it educational and helpful. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the DDNJ Author Insights Podcast. I'm Dr. Matthew Wappet, the DDNJ Editor-in-Chief and the Executive Director of the Utah State University Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice. It is my privilege to host this podcast. Today, we are excited to have a conversation with Dr. Parthenia Denora, uh, the USED Director at Virginia Commonwealth University, and Molly Dellinger-Ray, a Project Coordinator at the VCU USED. Today's conversation is about a relationship program developed at the VCU USED, and there are some really important nuggets of wisdom scattered throughout this episode. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I learned so much, and I hope that you will too. Uh, Before we jump into the conversation, however, I just wanted to do a little bit of the housekeeping. Uh, Just remind you that this podcast is an activity uh, that we've started to do with the Developmental Disabilities Network Journal in the hopes of expanding the accessibility of the content in the journal. Uh, We're trying to put this out monthly and include interviews with the authors from the latest issue of the journal. So each episode of this podcast is structured as a conversation with the authors and provides us with a more informal opportunity to explore the author's article, but then to also have some conversations about fun behind the scenes stuff that happens in the process of research and writing and all that other stuff that we do in our day job. Um, We also want to provide an opportunity for you to meet some of the people who are working in the field. I know I said this on the last episode, but, um, you know, prior to COVID, we were going to conferences and we were seeing each other in person at meetings and everything else. And that has really all gone away. And some of those informal opportunities to learn about people and their research and what they're doing have just disappeared. They don't happen over Zoom. And so we started this podcast as a chance for you to 
and for us actually for all intents and purposes to get to learn about the people who are working uh in the field today so we want to hopefully this is a service to you hopefully this is a chance for you to learn more to make some new connections and potentially develop some new collaborations um i think however the most important reason that we launched this podcast was to increase the accessibility of the articles in the journal. Um, many academic journals are very inaccessible and difficult to get to. And the launch of this podcast is part of our ongoing commitment to increasing the accessibility of the journal and the content in the journal for a wider readership and for this a listenership. Uh, you know, not everybody has time to sit down and read an entire article these days, and more and more people are choosing to access their information through podcasts and audiobooks. I know I listen to audiobooks, several of them every month. Um, and so they're just a new way of getting information out there. And so the launch of this podcast means that you can access DDNJ's content while you're on the go. And you can share it more easily across social media and other online platforms. So we really hope that this is a service to you and that this is something that is useful for you. Um, so before I jump into the bios and introducing you to our uh, interviewees today, um, I just want to encourage you to go to wherever it is that you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, make sure that you follow us, make sure that you like us, send us uh, feedback, send us your thoughts, send us um, ideas to make this podcast better. We are always trying to get better. Uh, if you have any feedback, you can shoot that to us at our main email. That's editor.ddnj at aggies, A-G-G-I-E-S dot U-S-U dot E-D-U. So that's editor.ddnj at aggies dot U-S-U dot E-D-U. Uh, so uh, yeah, feedback, thoughts. Um, we're, we're always wanting to hear from the folks who are listening to the podcast. So please send a Send us those when and if you have time. This episode of our podcast is an important conversation with Dr. Parthenia Denora and her co-author Molly Dellinger-Ray about their article entitled Testing the Efficacy of the LEAP Program or the Leadership for Empowerment and Abuse Prevention, uh, a healthy relationship training intervention for people with intellectual disability. This article can be found in the most recent issue of DDNJ Volume 2, Issue 1 on the journal website, which, as always, is open access and available to everybody. On the podcast today, we have with us Dr. Parthenia Denora, also known as Parthi. Dr. Denora has been employed in the disability field for over 24 years. In her earlier years, she helped administer direct service projects focused on community participation for individuals with IDD, and over the past 20 years, has been conducting research and evaluation on disability supports and services. She is currently the executive director of Virginia's USED at Virginia Commonwealth University, which operates over 40 projects that support people with IDD and their families and living full lives in the community. She has served as the principal investigator on multiple federal research grants, examining the outcomes of people with IDD and intervention-based studies examining health and well-being for people with IDD. Uh, 
In all of these projects, people with disabilities and their families provide strategic direction and serve in leadership roles. Also, Dr. Denora is the parent of a child with a developmental disability, and she is fully committed to shared leadership and alliance with people with disabilities and their families. And that commitment certainly comes out in this interview. We're also joined today by Molly Dellinger-Ray. Molly is a project manager at the Partnership for People with Disabilities, the USED at Virginia Commonwealth University. Molly is a special educator and also a parent who has sat on both sides of the IEP table and has more than 30 years of experience supporting children and adults with disabilities in schools homes and community settings. Molly is an endorsed positive behavior support facilitator and a certified instructor in person-centered thinking and stewards of children. Molly's professional goal is to help improve the quality of life for everyone through developing healthy relationships. And again, I think that commitment and Molly's experience as a parent and as a practitioner certainly shines through in this conversation. So Without further ado, we'd like to welcome Dr. Parthi Denora and Molly Dellinger. So thanks for joining us today, Parthi and Molly. Um, could we just go ahead and start and have you tell us a little bit about your background and the path that brought you to this project? Uh, and why don't we start with you, Parthi? Sure. Love to talk. Um, so uh I am kind of a long timer uh, at our USED. I've been at the partnership for about 20 years and have done a lot of work in research and evaluation and in intervention development. And um, we, when we started LEAP, we were really interested in kind of upping our game in research and evaluation. We um, have wonderful interventions and we've done a lot of program evaluation, but we haven't done as much research on our interventions. And so we were interested in kind of um, getting a little bit more sophisticated and exact about uh, what we were implementing and wanted to do a really good job of making sure our outcomes were what we wanted them to be for the people that were participating. So, um, you know, we were really interested in just expanding our research and, and um, making our uh, intervention a little bit more sophisticated in knowing our outcomes. I'd say the other big piece is I am a parent of a child with a disability. So um, the issues around abuse and neglect and knowing what to do when you're in an unhealthy relationship are very near and dear to my heart. And I want to make sure we're doing all we can to keep people healthy and safe and living great lives and community. Perfect. Thanks, Parthi. So Molly, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the path that brought you to this project? Well, um, Parthi mentioned that she was a long timer, which makes me feel like I am really a long timer. Um, uh, and I have been uh, with the partnership with, for people with disabilities for more years than I want to count. But prior to that, I was a special educator. And the partnership for people with disabilities began to address the problem of abuse and neglect for, of people with disabilities way back in 2000 and really established that as a priority area that they, they felt like was important to address. And this really was before, you know, way before the Me Too movement, way before a lot of um, public acknowledgement that abuse was so prevalent among people with disabilities. Um, and so we did, um, there were many projects that I helped with that trained 
um, teachers and um, law enforcement and um, school guidance counselors and people about what to do, um, how to recognize and respond to abuse. That, that was pretty much the focus of what we had. But as a special educator and uh, also a parent of a child with a disability who, who went through special education, it, I felt like it was really important that we bring that information directly to the people who needed it. Um, and so we were always looking for opportunities to expand that work in a much more boots on the ground way. So a way to prevent victimization. And so that's what was, you know, really drew me to, to seeking out funding and, and going for this project. That's great. And it sounds like both of you have a background as a parent. And so you've kind of lived this experience and have seen the importance of it. Um, so in your article, you're covering uh, a training program. It's called LEAP or Leadership for Empowerment and Abuse Prevention. So Molly, tell us a little bit about the LEAP training that you discuss in your article. Where was it developed and what does it cover? Well, the LEAP training is a four session training that is led by a person with a disability and a co-trainer. And we spent a long time researching LEAP um, prior to developing the curriculum. And we had a, a really wonderful team of people who, who supported us in developing the curriculum with family members and people with intellectual disability on the ground floor. So they were in every meeting and every decision that was made, we, we had people with disabilities and their family members. And we also learned, and I learned a lot in developing LEAP, we had representatives from social work, from the Virginia Department of Health, from um, several domestic violence agencies, from disability support advocacy agencies, um, and, um, and child abuse um, agencies who really helped us figure out what, a lot about the dynamics of abuse and how to, how to address this the right way. So LEAP is four sessions. Um, the first session really defines like, what is a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? Uh, the second session talks about relationships, like what is a relationship? What's a healthy relationship look like? What's an unhealthy relationship? What, what does that look like? The third session takes that knowledge about what's healthy and what's unhealthy and says, now let's talk about touch. What's a healthy touch? What's an unhealthy touch? What do you do if you experience an unhealthy touch? Or how do you stop? What's a, what's a way that's saying no that works for you? Um, it, it's really person-centered having, having people explore um, what are you comfortable with? What is this? How is, how does, what's a way that you can get out of the situation? And then the last session is really focused on how to get help. Um, and because we are special educators and, and had special educators on our team, every session reviews the previous sessions. So session two builds upon session one and, and then a little new information. So by the time you get to session four, you're reviewing everything that you've had in the four sessions and then um, just a little bit of new information about how to get help. So how long does it take somebody to go through the curriculum? It's four sessions and each session is 90 minutes long. Okay. And um it was my specialty area. It was really working with kids who had severe support needs and severe disabilities. So we really wanted LEAP to include everyone. 
Um, and so if you weren't a person who communicated with words, we wanted you to still be able to participate in the LEAP program and make those accommodations available for people. Um, and we piloted it with a group of, with very significant support needs. So we knew we were good to go. Is there a particular age range that it's targeted at? Uh, we geared LEAP for adults. Okay. Um, we are in the process now. I don't know if you want me to get into this now, Parthi. We're in the process of adapting LEAP for a teen audience, for um, young teens to be able to bring it um, into some school settings or with some young adults. Um, it is 90 minutes long. We had a lot of people saying, you know, 90 minutes is a really long time. Yeah. And yeah, um, I don't know if, you know, the people who I work with are going to be able to do that. That was never a problem. It's very engaging. It's very hands-on. It's a lot of experience. It's really, you know, for an abuse, abuse prevention curriculum, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Huh. Interesting. So kind of, that's kind of the structure of it. So kind of switching to you, Parthi, why are training programs like LEAP so important and how is LEAP different from other training programs out there? Sure. And I can start this off and Molly can chime in. Um, first of all, the statistics around abuse of of adults with intellectual disability are just so sobering and scary. And so uh, there's a very compelling need. And that's how we got this work funded over and over again is because it's just such a great need that, um, that people need to do more work in this area. And everybody has acknowledged that. Uh, Molly had mentioned that LEAP is four sessions. There are other interventions that have been developed that are much more involved. So they're longer. And uh, part of our advisory group's concerns were that we'd have a lot of problems with people uh, not being able to go to a 10 session program. We needed something that was more manageable in people's lives. So our, our, our uh, LEAP, our intervention is a little bit shorter than some of the others. Um, Molly also mentioned that it is for a variety of support needs. So it's not just targeted to people with mild disability. We really uh, developed the curriculum for everybody. Research uh, kind of drew a little bit of a circle around who could participate in some of the measurement pieces of it. But LEAP as an intervention was developed for a really wide audience of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then the last piece was that piece around the amplification of the research side that we worked very hard to uh, do rigorous research around this intervention. And a lot of the interventions that are out there on abuse prevention have not been um, researched. So this is an evidence-based intervention after we received the research grants and did um, the more rigorous uh, evaluation of the intervention. Great. So Molly, do you have anything to add? I don't think I do. I think Parthi hit all the high points. That's awesome. Um, so your article is really discussing your testing, the efficacy of the LEAP program. So can you give us a quick summary of your article in DDNJ in just two minutes? I know that's hard, but <laughs> I, think, I think that's you, Parthi, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do that. So we, what we found, we, uh, as I said, kind of tested our intervention. We found that people really did a very good job and came into the LEAP sessions knowing the difference at face value between healthy and unhealthy relationships. Uh, 
when we, after we did the training, what people really gained skills in is, is describing why something was healthy or unhealthy. So they, they got a language to describe relationships in greater detail, and then they could describe better what to do if they were in an unhealthy relationship after the intervention. So we helped people have a language to talk to other people about the the relationships they were in. And then if it was an unhealthy relationship, they better knew how to, how to get themselves out of an unhealthy relationship and seek support. I find that to be so incredibly uh, empowering, you know, and that power of language, having the language and the ability to describe something to say yes and no and consent and everything that goes along with that language. We assume in many cases that people get that, but even for people without disabilities, this language and sort of this knowledge frequently needs to be explicitly <laughs> trained. And so, but I think for many, many years, we've overlooked that and just assumed, oh, people will just pick this up but it's not something. And it becomes kind of critical in these conversations uh, when they need to describe to people who aren't necessarily people who know people with intellectual disability. So if they don't have that vocabulary down and don't know how to describe it to somebody Mm -hmm. else, they can't get the help that they need. So just having some of that exposure to the language and key people that they need to talk to um, and, and write down on their trust card who their person is in their life that they can have these conversations with. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a really important win. And so yeah. we learned so much in this research and there are things that worked really well and things that didn't work well, but that one piece of people having a greater ability to connect the dots and get help was why we were doing this in the first place. So we were so excited about those results. Yeah. yeah. So Molly, um, Kind of in a nutshell, what's the take-home message from the DDNJ article? What do you want readers to remember? Um, well, as Parthi said, you know, we learned a lot um, when we were doing this. Um, I learned a lot about abuse prevention. Um, and one of the things that I think is so important is that um, people who are disability support providers, people who support people with disabilities, don't know a lot about what the red flags are. Um, They're not aware about this whole other world. Um, And so oftentimes abuse is missed um, because it's just not in our repertoire of go-tos. So when people are conducting a functional behavior assessment, for example, um, looking into someone's trauma history is often frequently overlooked, um, which is just not acceptable when we know the extreme high rates of abuse and how often it occurs. And so it's really, you know, for me now, of course we all have our biases, but it's it's my go-to is like, look at that first before you look at other things. Um, the other thing is that um, a lot of these concepts are so important as Parthi mentioned, you know, they're important for everyone, um, people, including people with disabilities. Um, and it is possible to learn these techniques and these strategies, regardless of your, um, your disability or your cognitive strengths or weaknesses. So I think that's really important. Um, and I think that we, as disability support providers, we just need to be a little bit more brave in confronting this. Um, I think it's, it, is, it takes a lot of courage um, and, and we need to have the courage so that we can help others. Yeah. And that's the one place where 
a curriculum like this and a training program like this makes it easier, I think, because it takes courage and because these are, in many cases, uncomfortable conversations, having a structure and somebody who's thought through that and a guide and especially an evidence-based structure and guide to help with those conversations, I think um, really does remove some of the obstacles uh, to yeah, this knowledge and this important and information. I have one other thing, kind of a kind of a call to our network uh, on on issues uh, related to this, and it's about measurement. You know, mm-hmm. we um, were really, really challenged to do good measurement for people with intellectual disability, and we originally did a pre and post test. And um, that was a paper based that we interviewed people. They were extremely uncomfortable. They felt like they were being tested. They felt like they were being in, they were in school. And so we adapted that to video vignettes. And um, it was so much more accessible. It people enjoyed it. It was fun measurement. And um, we were kind of thrilled. We used people with disabilities as actors and paid them to to do the vignettes. Um, So it became kind of a critical component of the research. And we we had some measurement issues with them. And we are continue to work on refining those measurement issues. But that balance between accessibility and measurement and how we as a field need to kind of move uh, move along and get a little bit better at that and how we can reach out to other disciplines to really help us. And we are uh, furiously working on that right now to get measurement that works for people with ID that they feel comfortable with that um, meets kind of the standards of rigor. So uh, I would love to partner with anybody who's in doing that kind of work and um, really want to just kind of be dedicated towards doing better in that area. Yeah, that's also a personal interest of mine is how do we make this research process more inclusive and accessible? Because I think you're right. A lot of times we just take things that have worked in a traditional sense and try to just overlay them on this population that we work with. And frequently it doesn't work. It doesn't work for many typically developing people. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, 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 it was almost, you know, like they, they had hearkened back to school where they were uncomfortable and they, oh. they shared that with us. And so yeah. we, we had to change, you know, we were not going to put people in that position. And so we just need to, to up our game on the other side of how do we get this as tight and how can we describe it in a way that the research community embraces it? So, uh, yeah. you know, that, I just think that there's a lot of work to be done there. Well, so one thing that doesn't come through in these academic articles is some of the uh, some of the work and the funny stories and just the experiences as you're working through these problems and implementing these programs. So one of the things that we like to do here is kind of ask people to share a memorable story or event that occurred as you worked on this project. So why don't we go back to you, Molly, for this? Is there a memorable event or something that occurred that you were doing this that would really, I think, bring some life to this more academic uh, academic article? Uh, it did. You know, we, we developed this training for a reason because we know there are very high rates of abuse among people with disabilities. And one thing that we we expected but didn't expect, I, I would say, is that when you start having these conversations with people about relationships and about healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships and trying to have these, these conversations, um, people are going to disclose abuse that's happened to them in the past or that's happening now. And um, I was at a training 
it was the second, you know, we'd done the first session, we were on the second session, and we were talking about ways to say no, all the different ways there are to say no. And um, one of the participants passed me a note and said, um, I'm afraid to tell my boyfriend no, because he gets angry with me. So, you know, here it is, this big disclosure. And I said, you know, let's, let's talk afterwards. Um, but I really, I didn't have a relationship with this young lady. I, I liked her. She was fun. She, she was very engaging person. I, I always like to describe people by their strengths first. And she, she was very engaging and she was, you know, kind of cute. She always had like a matching hair tie to her socks and, you know, just really, um, just a, fun person to be around and participated in the class a lot. And uh, she had a job where she worked um, as a housekeeper at a hotel and she lived in an apartment complex that was um, where she got drop-in assistance. And there were several people who used services who lived at the same apartment complex. Mm. And so I went to um, the residential support agency that had asked us to come in and do the training and said, I just want you to know, you know, there's something going on with Bethany. Uh, I'm calling her Bethany for the story. It's not her real name. And I, I just want to make you aware of it. And she said, that's interesting because I, I wasn't aware that Bethany had a boyfriend. Um, and so she, she did some research and some follow-up and she got back to me and said that um, the man that Bethany was calling her boyfriend, in quotes, uh, was actually a staff member. Um, and he was a staff member um, that was very popular among the people who used their services and their staff, that he was always the person who would take the shift uh, that nobody else wanted and would come in on the snow days and, and was always available. And what they discovered when they followed up with that is that he was not only having non-consensual sex with Bethany, but that he was also having sex with at least two other women and one other guy who were using services. So he was a serial predator with multiple victims um, th that was happening, you know, just under everyone's noses. So it taught me a lot of things, um, that incident, that particular incident taught me a lot of things that I took away. And one of them is the importance of when people talk about secondary trauma um, and how important it is to acknowledge that when people are telling you stories, if you have these conversations with people, they will tell you stories. And that secondary trauma is real. Um, and when the executive director of that agency called me and, and told me what had happened, that the guy had been fired and so on, um, you know, I was absolutely gutted. Um, I was just devastated. And I carried it around with me for a long time. And one of the first things I did was I went into the, um, an office of a guy who helped develop LEAP with us. Um, and we worked together really closely on several projects and we had a good relationship. And I, I went into his office and, and he is, is a person with a disability. Um, and I, I you know, said, oh, I just can't believe this happened. And I'm so upset. And, and he sort of said like, well, what did you expect? You know, we, we knew this was a problem. We, we, we knew this was gonna happen, but I, I just, you know, I think you have to be prepared 
um, for how to support yourself when someone does disclose that there's abuse that's happening and it could be happening right now. Um, so that was the first thing. And the other thing is, and this is something that you will learn as you go along, is that, you know, basically because of our actions, we removed this predator from this organization. Um, but when the woman came back to the training the third week and she's, you know, rather than saying like, wow, thank you so much for removing this predator from our lives. She said, why'd you get my boyfriend fired? <laughs> you know, she was really not happy about it and certainly not happy with me. Um, and so I think when people are in relationships that are abusive, very often they care deeply about that person. And um, it, it is not right for us to think, you know, we're going to come in here and make everything right for people and they're going to appreciate us for it. She didn't appreciate me at all. I think she's probably still mad at me, um, but I hope she has a better life because of it. Wow, that's an incredibly depressing but powerful story about just how important this is, because I think you're exactly right. We, we work in this field and we hear about it, but a lot of times it's really hard to know what, what do you do about it? And I mean, I think this is a great example of the power of a training like this. It opens up those opportunities for people to say, Hey, this is happening. And, and you know, it, it had an impact. I mean, you have a, a serious measurable impact on the lives of at least a few people there um, who are now safer because of it. So thank you so much for sharing that. That must've been an incredibly difficult time to navigate. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it was really hard. And, and that's what I go back to saying, like, you have to have courage to address this. Um, but it, it, we, we need to have the courage. We can't expect people with disabilities to, to do this on their own. Nobody can do this on their own. Even you know, people without disabilities need help with this. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. So Parthi, did you want to share a memorable story or event? And sure, should I move to the next question? You can, you can, I, I think Molly's story really stands. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't, I, I don't want to uh, devalue anything you might say, but that's going to pretty, that's a pretty hard one to talk. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So, okay. So everybody who works in this field typically has a story and there's very personal motivations for people who are working in the disability field. Um, as you both mentioned at the beginning, you're both parents, but I'm just kind of curious for both of you. And we'll start with you first, Parthi, what motivates you to do this work? Why do you do what you do? Well, I think Molly's story is again kind of like the 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 explanation in a nutshell that um, you know we want people with we've always wanted people even before we had our own kids wanted people with disabilities to live good lives and they shouldn't have to deal with the barriers that the world puts in front of them um, and we want to kind of concretely move the needle and that's where projects like Leap are are awesome uh, because you develop something, you're in front of people, you're measuring if it's working and you're seeing changes in people's lives. And, and I think it's a luxury in our work to see that. I think there's an awful lot that we do where you don't get that concrete payoff, but uh, Leap is just one of those projects that um, is a delight to work on. It's, it's, it's a horrible reality, uh, but it's a delight to be with people and to see 
um, them engaging and feeling like they've come to a different place because of, of the teeny contribution that you've made. And so, um, you know, there is that bigger picture of, we want people to, to live good lives in community. And then that really specific thing about leap is it's, it's a, it's a concrete specific of starting from a and getting to C and, um, uh, and, and that's, that's great to be, uh, you know, it's great work to be in. It's, it's fun. And of course we've had, um, you know, the other piece of this, there's a, a team that works on leap. Molly and I are only a couple of the people we have a, a interdisciplinary team. Uh, our school of social work is really involved with the work and it's, it's an awesome team to work with too. So I'm motivated by my fellow professionals, uh, that are hundred percent committed. They're all in, and that's always great to work with people that are all in. What about you, Molly? What motivates you to do this work? No, I, I think I pretty much I'm like Parthi, but I but I also feel like, you know, when you're a person who who is a special educator like I am, you know how to teach stuff. <laughs> um, and when you when you have this knowledge about how to really make uh, an improvement on someone's quality of life, you can't really put the genie back in the bottle. Um, you know, you, you have these tools and resources and you, you just want to use them all the time. And like so many things in our life, you know, the other thing that I work on at the partnership is that I'm very involved with is positive behavior support. And you find that you're using positive behavior support in every aspect of your life uh, with your family members and your pets and your community. And it, it is the same thing with healthy relationships. Um, it's not something that's contained to just a work setting. You know, I, I think... Um, we all benefit so much from this knowledge and this information. The other thing is that our team of people who teach LEAP are, have been just the most wonderful group of, of um, people with disabilities and, and co-trainers who are also just equally committed and great to talk to. And we have a really supportive community of people who, who we learn together and, and work together um, as Parthi mentioned, we have representatives from the VCU School of Social Work who were instrumental in, in starting this project with us. And um, that team has really uh, evolved and become supportive to one another in so many different ways. So that's been a pleasure. Well, thank you both for, yeah, for sharing this personal aspect of your life and just for the, the work that you have done. So we like to uh, end the podcast here with asking everybody uh, the same question. And one of our commitments at the Developmental Disabilities Network Journal is trying to make research and particularly the dissemination of research more inclusive and accessible so that it's not just a targeted audience of researchers that, you know, these ideas and this information is getting out to a broader population. So I'm just curious for both of you, what's one thing that you've been doing to make your work more inclusive and accessible? And why don't we start with you, Parthi? Sure. So I, I, I talked a little about this already. I mean, I'm really working hard on the measurement side. And so uh, trying to partner with as many people as I can to uh, get the way that we look at impact to work for people with disabilities, to work in kind of co-leadership with people with disabilities, to do a better job of um, research that's about them. Uh, so, you know, definitely the measurement side. I will say the other side really quickly, you said one, but I'm gonna cram into is um, on dissemination that we've 
really uh, worked hard with LEAP. We've certainly written at articles for journals, but we also have talked to as many families as we can, talked to people with disabilities, uh, trying to really connect this to their lives and make sure that they know that this is available to them if they're interested. So trying to work on dissemination from multiple angles and not just going for academic journals, but really trying to get to uh, people and families. So kind of as a follow-up to that before we switch over to Molly, but is LEAP a program that folks at other USEDs or DD councils or independent living centers or whatever could reach out to you and get access to? It is copyrighted, but uh, we are um, definitely in conversations with people about kind of next steps. Mm-hmm. We um, are still modifying pieces of it. And so uh, people can absolutely reach out to us and we can have those conversations. It's not as quick and easy as we want it to be. There are pieces about the university that you have to work through, yep. but uh, we want this in people's hands. And so, um, yeah, always can reach out to us and have that conversation. That's great. That's great. So Molly, let's let's go over to you. What's one thing that you've been doing to make your work more inclusive and accessible? Well, um, I think Parthi mentioned that we we feel like, you know, this information is so important for people with disabilities to know. Um, and we we have included people with disabilities really in every aspect of this project. Um, in terms of the curriculum design and how it's delivered, um, our trainers have come back to us when we were, we had multiple pilots of how this was going to work. Um, and they would say like, you know, this really doesn't work. People aren't getting this. Um, and so we, we had many versions that, that we had their input on. Um, so, and I think also as Parthi mentioned, we, we think it's important to be in academic journals and, and love the opportunity to do podcasts like this, which I think makes the information on LEAP a lot more accessible. Um, but we have also um, really made it um, accessible to families through um, Parenting Special Needs Magazine and series of articles that we've done for them about what we've learned about um, healthy relationships and how important it is for people to know about them. Perfect. Well, we, like I mentioned earlier, I think the work that you're doing is genuinely important and it really was a privilege to, to review and then to publish your article because not enough uh, work is being done in this area. And again, there is work out there, but it's not always evidence-based. And so really your efforts, I think, to, to create an inclusive curriculum and then gather the evidence and really do that in an inclusive and accessible way is, is noteworthy and laudable. <laughs> So I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to to visit with us today. Any last thoughts? You know, one thing that I I definitely want to make sure that we communicate is that people with disabilities were integral to the development of LEAP and our co-trainers at every LEAP training. So this is um, an intervention that was developed side by side and and has is, you know, it, it is at the very kind of um, core of leap. And so I don't want to, I want to make sure we make that really explicit that we couldn't have done it uh, without people with, this isn't a, this is not the intervention is about people with disabilities developed 
alongside with people with disabilities. And I just want to make sure we're really clear on that, that it's not just to them, they are creators of this. And so um, it's, it's really important to our, you said that we do that. Um, We, we try to do justice by that and, and we have varying levels of success sometimes. And this is one of those success stories where we, we legitimately included people in every stage of this and modified it based on their input. And so that's something that uh, we continue to work on for everything that we do. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's a good example of some things that are mentioned in the article, but maybe not highlighted to the extent that um, that you have here. And I mean, I think that although in the article you do mention the involvement of people with disabilities, I think just highlighting it here and just how integral that was to uh, the success, the design and the delivery of this, um, yeah, is something that's why we have these conversations to really say, this is model work that's being done out there. This is inclusive and accessible work that's happening in the field. Um, And yeah, like I said, uh, just hats off to you for your time and effort and for the work that you've put into this. Um, So thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. As I said, we'll be putting out new episodes monthly, so this will be a regular, regularly updated. Um, so whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, or something else, please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Also, please make sure that you leave us a rating and a review. Your feedback helps us make the podcast better and will help more people find us. And then finally, please, because this is new, share this podcast with your friends, your family, your colleagues, and others who might be interested in these conversations that we're going to be having. Thanks, everybody. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.